Open your Bibles to book of Galatians, chapter 5. Galatians, chapter 5. If you have been with us for the last few months, you know that we are studying the fruit of the Spirit. And we have reached tonight the final of those marvelous fruits. Specifically chosen from the garden of God as representative of all that it means to be holy and like our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you could find one person who had every one of these marks, you would have found the Son of God. And tonight we've reached this ninth fruit. The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit, in verse 22, Galatians 5 verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and then there are nine fruit, here they are, Love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Now, the final fruit of the Spirit is self-control, and it serves as a perfect conclusion Because love was the first of the fruit. And we can look at love and see all of the others. For example, if you are a loving man, you will be patient. You will be kind. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient. Love is kind. If you are a loving man, you will be gentle with others. If you are a loving man... You will be peaceful. You will be joyful. But now we want to turn it around from the back of the list and look back. Because self-control serves like a husband with his wife. If love is the wife, self-control is the husband. Or perhaps it's the other way. Love is the husband. And self-control is the wife. Because if you are a man controlled in all of your passions and impulses... How could you be anything other than gentle? A self-controlled man is gentle. A self-controlled man is law-abiding, which is what the word goodness means. A self-controlled man is kind. He's peaceful. You can't make him fight unless the word of God calls him to it. So self-control could serve as a summary Next week, we're going to ask the question, if all of these fruit mean all of the others, then why do we have nine? Why not just have one? What's the point of having nine fruit of the Spirit when they all mean the same thing? Come back next week as we attempt to answer that question. But for tonight, we have to deal With the fact that a man who is controlled by the Holy Spirit will be a man who has self-control. Years ago, about 20, in Toronto, Canada, a group of people began meeting. And as these meetings progressed, unusual manifestations began to happen. The most remarkable of these manifestations were people falling to the ground 
and shaking uncontrollably, almost as if they're in a seizure or an epileptic fit. This was called being filled with the Holy Spirit. At the same time, a famous South African man named Rodney Howard Brown went to America to those Toronto Revival, or to that which was now called the Toronto Revival, and said that you can be drunk with the Holy Spirit. And there is a video on YouTube of this South African, Rodney Howard Brown, and an American, Kenneth Copeland, actually acting out a scene where they both pretend to be giving invisible drinks to each other. And they pretend to be drinking these and becoming, as they say, these are their words, drunk in the Holy Spirit. And as you can see the video on YouTube, they stagger on the platform. Their speech is slurred. They cannot walk straight and they cannot talk straight. And to those men, I would say, the fruit of God's Spirit is self-control, not self-release. Our age is out of control. In Elam, when we lived there, there was a billboard that they just put up. A huge billboard that went right across the tar road and it said, Sprite, obey you. That's the world's message. In fact, Coca-Cola, which owns Sprite, knows If we want to make money, we have to appeal to what the people like. And people like a message that says, follow your impulse. Do whatever comes up. If it bubbles up in your heart, open your mouth and let it come out. A shirt that I have seen many times over the last year, especially on young girls, is one that says... Two words. Have you seen this shirt? No filter. Why would you want to advertise that you use absolutely no judgment before you talk? You just want everyone to know. I want you to know. Whatever you're thinking about me, I have no judgment, no logic. I never question or say to myself, Should this thought be thought? Should this idea be entertained? Should this word be broadcast? If it comes up, it comes out. That is contradictory to this fruit of the Spirit. I would like to explain the fruit of the Spirit of self-control. Let's begin tonight as we've begun each week. What is it? After answering the question, what is self-control? We'll move on to self-control is the solution to most of your problems. 
If you were going to see a counselor or a psychiatrist or a social worker, if you wanted help, you would say, I have these problems and I'd like you to help me with them. Well, I want to tell you tonight that most of the problems in your life could be solved if you had the fruit of the spirit of self-control. That's point number two. And then point number three is a refreshing way to close. Self-control is unusually beautiful. Let's begin with number one. What is it? Very simply, if you're taking notes, does anyone need a pen? Self-control is self-denial. That's point number one. Self-control is self-denial. It is the brother of self-denial. They are closely related. Take your Bibles and go back to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Luke 9 verse 23. We have memorized this verse as a church. And I had the joy of preaching on this verse in the open air in Valdesia. And then last year at our church on a Sunday night. Luke 9 verse 23, and he said to them all, if any man wants to come after me, pause right there. Who is doing the talking in verse 23? Answer back to me. Who's talking here? Our Lord Jesus Christ is talking in Luke 9 verse 23. And he says, just so that you know, all the people who want to come to me or come after me, follow me. We would call those people Christians. So our Lord makes it clear. What's he calling you to? Christianity. Do you want to be a Christian? Verse 23. Three things are necessary. Number one. Let him do what? Number two. Take up his cross. How often? Every day. And number three. What should he do? If you are interested in Christianity, there's three points from our Lord. He makes them explicit. He makes them clear. I'll read them again. Luke 9 verse 23. He said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him quickly pray this prayer. Let him get baptized and let him give a tithe. No, no, no. What did he say? If you want to come after the Lord Jesus Christ Three points. Deny yourself. That's self-denial. Before our Lord even says the word repent in this verse, he says deny yourself. Before our Lord says the word believe in this verse, he says deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself? To say no to the things you want. That's the definition. Self-denial or self-control. Here it is. To say no to the things you want. Years ago, we were teaching our children when they were small, as if they're large now. We were teaching our children, what does it mean to have self-control? And we gave the definition. To say no to the things you want. We want many things. And most of those things we cannot have. And even as adults. 
Our desires have not become smaller. They've become greater. When you become older, when you pass 30 years old, 40 years old, your desires don't shrink. They grow from the time you were five. When you were five, you basically wanted sugar and running. That's about all you wanted in life. But now when you're 35, you want houses and cars. You want a feeling of security. You want people around you who support you all the time. You want nice looking clothes of a great variety. Some to relax in, some to dress up in, some to go to work in. You want multiple vehicles. And then you want intellectual recognition. And you still want sugar. (laughs) But our Lord says, if you would be a Christian, this is the first word I'm going to give. What, What is the word he uses for the group of people in verse 23? To whom is he speaking in verse 23? All. Everyone. Our Lord looks at everyone. And the reason Luke recorded that word all is to say into today, to speak 2,000 years later so that you would know in 2021, he's still talking to a Venda young lady. He's still talking to a Shona and an Americaner and an Afrikaner. He's still talking to people from Malawi and India and China. Everyone has to know word one of Christianity Deny yourself. Well, Seth, I think you're overemphasizing one word of Jesus. Remember, how many words did he give? Well, let's look at the second word. What's the second one? Take up your cross. How often? Every single day. You've got to take up your cross every day. What does that mean? The cross was an instrument of death. Specifically, it was an instrument that would kill the man who carried it. Criminals had to carry their cross to the place of execution, which is why our Lord was forced to carry his cross until he stumbled and fell under the weight. When our Lord Jesus says, take up your cross, he's saying, you have to come to the point of dying. What death would Jesus be pressing on his people? Simply the death of their personal interests and desires. It's almost the same thing as self-denial. Which means the first point, deny yourself. The second point, kill all your personal desires. Am I still making too much of this? What's the third word in verse 23? Follow me means very simply obey my laws. We know that from John chapter 10 where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and no one will ever pluck them out of my hand. For my Father who gave them to me is greater than all and no man can pluck them out of his hand. Following Christ as a sheep means obeying the laws of Christ. Following Christ is used repeatedly in the Gospels as a command for complete obedience to Jesus Christ. 
What does it take to obey the laws of Christ? We dealt with this about three weeks ago when we did the fruit of the spirit of goodness. You will remember, what does the fruit of the spirit of goodness mean? Can anyone help me? What does goodness mean? Nope. Obeying the laws of Christ. A good man is a law-abiding man. A bad man is a law-breaking man. In the same way here, when our Lord says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That word follow means obey my laws. But what are the laws that he gives? Here's one of them. If your eye offends you, just pull it out. It's better for you to go into life having one eye than having two eyes to be cast into the fire of hell. Here's another one of his laws. Matthew 6, verse 25. Take no thought about the things of tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Jesus was not saying don't plan. He was saying don't worry. Does it take self-control not to worry? Ladies, does it not take self-control not to worry? These are the laws of Christ. What other laws does he give us? Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. I'm just going straight through the Sermon on the Mount, picking one per chapter. We did chapter 5 with the I. We're doing chapter 6 with don't worry. I'm just jumping, for examples to chapter 7, verse 12, where it says the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Matthew 7, verse 12. Does it take self-control to do to others not what you want to do to them, but what you want them to do to you? Of course it does. Self-control is the summary of all the commands in Luke 9, verse 23. Let's remember, Luke 9, 23. What are the three commands again? Number one, deny yourself. Number two, Take up your cross, how often? Every day. And number three, follow me or obey my laws. Each of those is requiring self-control. And that's this first point. Self-control is self-denial. Self-control is a saying no to the thing you want. Here, Shitsanga is very helpful. At the DB, self-control got you vende. Let me self-control got you vende. Difara. Difara. Okay, then she vende na Shitsonga, Shafan. Shafan. In this point, in Shitsonga, kutikoma, u difara. To hold yourself. You want to burst out, but wait, you've got to do something to that self that wants to burst out. You've got to, ti koma. Di. You can't let that self just go running. It might do something crazy. You got to grab it. Get, get a hold of that self. I would like to add, whenever I see those girls with the shirts, no filter, I'd like to just add two words to the bottom. No filter before conversion. After conversion, there is a filter. It's the Holy Spirit saying, you've got to learn. You've got to learn to rein in most of the things you do. 
My dear friend told me years ago, uh, Paul, who now has seven children. Back when he had, I think, four children, he told me, I think somewhere around 90% of the things my children do are wrong. (laughs) Somewhere around 90% of the things. And that is a perfect example of why we desperately need the fruit of the Spirit of self-control. An athlete agrees when he signs up for the team that he's going to get up early, controlling his urge to, he's going to resist cold drink, controlling his urge for sugar. He's going to fight with his body even when his muscles say, stop, stop. He's going to say to those muscles, I'm in charge, not you. You've got to keep running. You've got to keep moving. In fact, you've got to move faster. And that is why our, our Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul use athletics as examples for the Christian life. Because self-control is so vital. When a man wants to build a house, he saves his money. He controls his urge to buy a new car. He, unless you're a government employee, in which case you can get both at the same time, perhaps. In general, he's going to have to say, I'm going to have to save. I need this one first, and then this one. I need this one, then that one. He's going to have to save for one thing over the other. The greatest self-control is denying our sinful desires so that we can have Christ. Philippians 3.8 So that I may be found in him so that, oh yes, Paul said, I had this list of personal desires. I wanted to be known as the greatest Pharisee. I wanted to be known as the greatest teacher. I wanted to be known as the most zealous after the law. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yes, and I count everything to be lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them dung, waste, so that I may win Christ and be found in him. The word self-control is only found three times in the New Testament. But I would like to draw your attention as I close this first of the three points with one of the most important cross-references. Go in your Bibles to Acts chapter 24. Acts 24, verse 25. Acts chapter 24, verse 25. Let me give you the story up to this point. As you're opening your Bibles to Acts 24, verse 25, let me give you the story up to this point. In Acts chapter 21, a mob attacks and tries to kill the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 22, Paul preaches to the mob from the steps of the temple. He preaches them in Hebrew, and they are pacified when they can listen to him preach in their language. In Acts chapter 23, he is moved inside and he preaches to the Sanhedrin, which is kind of like the Jewish parliament. It was a group of 70 men who controlled the religion and the politics underneath the government of Rome in that day. So this is what's happened to Paul. Are you following me? A mob has attacked him. The government, the police come out and grab Paul and make him safe. They push him back to the steps of the temple and they form a wall around this old man. Paul stands in the temple and asks the captain, can I speak to these people? And the captain says, calm down. 
And Paul stands out and says, hey, and speaks to them in Hebrew. As soon as he speaks in Hebrew, all the crowd becomes quiet. He's a Jew? What's happening? And he begins to preach. Notice, by the way, that mobs are very fickle. They're attacking Paul before they know who he is or where he comes from or what he's teaching. So Paul preaches to the mob. They like it until he mentions, you Jews, Christ will save you. Oh, and he also saves people from other nations. Oh, then they go crazy. They begin the mob again. No, he's not saving anyone else, just the Jews. So the police again secret Paul away, and he begins to preach to the parliament, the Sanhedrin. He gathers in front of the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 23 and preaches to them. In Acts chapter 24, the chapter we're in, he has been held in prison. After he preached to the Sanhedrin, they couldn't decide what to do with him because the Sanhedrin was divided. It'd be like going to the parliament today in South Africa and preaching in such a way that the ANC liked you, but the DA and the EFF hated you. So now you're split. The vote is split. So what do we do? So they hold you out. They held Paul for a few days until Felix, the governor, arrives in Acts chapter 24. And then in Acts chapter 24, Paul presents his case. He says in verse 10, I am not a criminal. In verse 14, he says, I'm teaching a religion called the way based on Jesus Christ. Felix listens to him and says in verse 22, "Uh, I'll listen to you later. And now we've arrived in verse 25. But just think of what's happening to Paul at this point. Paul is under amazing stress. He is in prison. He is possibly going to be killed. He is an older man. He is exhausted after having been beaten repeatedly. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He has endured every kind of suffering for the Lord Jesus. And now as a slave to the gospel, he comes to preach to a high ranking politician who holds the power of Paul's freedom in his hand. And if Paul says the right things, he can get free. Here's what Paul says in verse 25. Acts 24, verse 25. And as he preached or reasoned of three things, righteousness, self-control, and future judgment, Felix trembled and answered, uh, go away for a little. When, 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 I've got, when I've got some free time, I will call you. At this point, what would you have been tempted to say? Wouldn't you have said to Felix, Sir, this is all a big misunderstanding. I haven't done anything wrong. Sir, I'm an innocent man. Sir, please, can you let me go free? I haven't done anything wrong. Paul does say that in verses 10, 11, and 12. But that's not the only thing he says. That's just the introduction. If you give the Apostle Paul a chance to tell how innocent he is, he's going to end up 
pointing his finger at you and telling you about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And he's going to preach right to the politician, right to the man who can control whether he walks out free or whether he stays in the jail or whether he goes to death. And Paul looks at that man and says, if you're not righteous, you're lost. If you're not binding up your own impulses, you're a child of Satan. And if you don't watch out, you're going to stand in front of God, the judge of all, who has appointed his son, Jesus Christ, and he will judge you. This is an amazing message. This would have been a heavy message for a rich, comfortable politician who can enjoy the pleasures of life at public expense. And that's exactly who Paul gives this message to. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say, oh, in my religion, if you want to be a Christian, it's so simple. You just believe on Jesus. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm preaching a religion that demands righteousness and repentance and constant self-denial. And guess what? My religion is the only way because there's a future judgment someday. And you can talk about the Roman gods. You can talk about paganism. You can talk about Hinduism or Buddhism. But if you're not following my religion, you're going to answer to Jesus. That's the answer that he gives. So facing the loss of freedom and even the loss of his life, the Apostle Paul preaches self-control. It's the same, it's the same Greek word. Righteousness, self-control, And the future judgment. By the way, notice that Paul preaches to this man a highly ethical message. A message focused on obedience. Whereas in other places, Paul might preach a message that's focusing more on the intellect. A message demonstrating that you need to believe on Jesus. But here Paul preaches... Obey. Because Paul's wise and knows which which audience needs which message. So I ask you, would Paul consider you a Christian if he evaluated your self-control? What would he say to this? Are you accustomed to putting your desires last? Or are you accustomed to putting them first? And why is it even important that we say no to the things we want, our own personal desires? Because our desires are so often confused with sin. Our personal desires are constantly tainted with sin. This is the great difficulty of making judgments in my life. When it comes to preaching the Bible, it's very simple. I can sit at my desk. I can read the Greek. I can read the Hebrew. I can read the English and the Tsonga and the Venda and the Shona. I can read the commentaries. I can look at the fish. I can write out my notes. And I can say, I know 100% sure this is what God says. And I can come in here and speak with full authority like a messenger from Mount Olympus. I can tell you, this is the message. You can take it or leave it, but you will answer for what you do with truth. But what a difference to confronts me when I have to speak to my wife about, Seth, I think your tone was too harsh. 
How can I judge those things? You see, my desires are so intermingled with what? Sin. Oh, my sin. That's the great problem. How can I be free from my sin? 1 Peter 4, verses 3 and 4. Our desires are constantly confused with our sin. But when we deny ourselves, the world immediately takes notice. So my first point is that self-control is self-denial. But now let me come to the application. Self-control will solve most of your problems. It will fix what's wrong with most of the problems in our lives. Let me give you some examples. Amount of debt versus personal savings. The Times reported, uh, South African Times, reported last June that there are nearly as many people who are illegally in debt, 9.5 million, as there are people who have good financial credit records. That's 10.5 million. That means you almost have as many people who have purchased things for which they did not have money as you have people who have not purchased things for which they have money. People are turning to credit cards, loan sharks, machunisi. Give me the machunisi, Kajven. Zephan. People are turning to Machonisi. I still remember the man who was coming to our church in Mashamba and eventually left the church. And one of the reasons was he went to the Machonisi and took out a loan for 500. He now owned, owed them 3,000. He had been paying, but only paying 50 rand a month until the loan reached three. He borrowed 500. And months later, after paying back a lot of money, he owes 3000 And it became so heavy for him, he eventually left the church. Although I don't know how much his debt was part of that decision. What about this? Not just our money, but what about premarital fornication? The Mail and Guardian, this is old now, January 2013, reported that one out of four teens under the age of 15 have already thrown away their virginity. 25% of young people before they reach their 15th birthday have already thrown away their purity. And that means if their bodies developed at 12 or 13, they could not live 700 days before giving in to the impulses of their flesh. And it also means their fathers were so disinvolved, disengaged with their lives that they could not help their children. When a girl has a boyfriend... At least in Sangha culture, it is common parlance simply to understand that if a girl has a boyfriend, it means she's committing the sin of Buoshi or Pombie with that boy. I have asked government workers to teach people abstinence in order to cure AIDS. But I was told by government workers when I said, could we please teach our children abstinence in the schools? Please teach them stay away. The government worker that I spoke to laughed and said... Oh, we can't stop young people from committing fornication. What does that mean? Except there's no self-control. And if there's no self-control in the young people, where did they learn it from? Do you think that young boy who made such a mistake at 14 was growing up in the home of a man 
who was pure until he paid Lobola at 26? Do you think that boy who made the mistake at 14 grew up in the home where the husband and wife were so disciplined they did not have boyfriends or girlfriends? They had family devotions every night at 8 o'clock. They never missed Sunday morning attending a Bible preaching church. And again Sunday night. And again on Wednesday for the prayer meeting. And on Saturday they were disciplined and self-controlled to go out on evangelism. Do you think that the home where a 14-year-old boy grows up and throws away his purity at 14. Do you think that that boy grew up in a home that was marked by self-control? You know that he wasn't. At least stereotypically speaking. Number three. Amount of sleeping. How many times have you slept in until 9 or 10 o'clock on a Sunday? How many times have you slept in until 9 or 10 o'clock on a Saturday? How many times have you come to someone's house and found them sleeping? Maybe you don't do that very often, but I go to people's house often for evangelism. It is remarkable how many times I find people sleeping. Now, of course, I'm not talking about someone who works overnight. I once came to my dear brother's house and he had worked all night and he was taking a nap. Praise the Lord. We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who got eight hours of sleep, but their life, they're just not really doing anything. So after they watched TV from nine o'clock until one o'clock, they decided to sleep from two till four. That's what we're talking about. I'm not talking about a godly, hardworking man who has one day off and he wants to take a nap for 45 minutes. We're talking about someone who's controlled by his urge, bodily urge of sleep. Number four, amount of alcohol. A recent study conducted by Telesure says, quote, South Africa has one of the highest per capita alcohol consumption rates in the world. Alcohol affects around 17.5 million South Africans, close quote. That's about one in three South Africans. And that report's a few years old now. One in three South Africans are affected by alcohol abuse. More than likely, you or someone you know in your family has been involved with drunkenness or been affected or hurt by drunkenness. People drink to be accepted by their friends because they don't have the integrity to control themselves. People drink to get away from their problems because they don't have the integrity and the self-control to deal with the problems. How many men drink so that they don't have to deal with their wives? But the reason you have a problem with your wife is because you didn't love her like Christ loved the church. So rather than dealing with your own sin... You go out and add sin to sin to try to deal with the problem. And it only compounds the problem, making it a thousand times worse. Number five, lack of fasting. Matthew 6, verse 17, our Lord says, when you fast, implying that all Christians will fast. How many of us do not fast? How many of us do not have a consistent time once a month or once a week where we say, the first Thursday of the month, I don't eat lunch because this is my time to pray For the unreached people groups of the world. Have you thought about the unreached people groups? That over 2 billion people on the planet right now. Have no opportunity to hear the gospel. And another 2 to 3 billion people. I'll remind you there's a billion people in Africa. So imagine Africa twice over. 
don't even have the chance to hear the gospel. And another two to three billion have only the most minimal opportunity to hear the gospel. How often have you taken an afternoon, an evening, a breakfast to say, I I usually take 20 minutes here for my coffee, but every Friday morning, no coffee, no tea, no rest, know that I'm going to take this portion to plead with God to convert sinners. Number six, our words. How much stress in your life could be removed if you controlled your tongue? Our words are particularly important. Matthew 12, 36 says this, But I say to you that every idle word that men will speak, they will give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Have you ever paused to think that you will be judged based on your words? That's terrifying. Proverbs 10 verse 8 says, A talkative fool will be ruined. Number seven, anger. Do irritating people, overwhelming situations, and unforeseen changes make you angry? Those three things. You hear those? I chose those specifically. Irritating people. You see, I'm putting the blame on the people. Okay? What kind of people are we dealing with? Have you ever dealt with someone irritating? Put your hands up. You ever dealt with someone irritating? Number two, overwhelming situations. Have you ever had a situation in life where you felt like you were standing in the ocean and a wave 20 meters tall just came over you? Have you ever felt like that? Okay. Number three, unforeseen changes. You didn't know it was happening. You couldn't have known. You had your plans this way. And then out of nowhere, you get hit with this change. Have you ever had one of those three things cause you to be angry? Now let me ask. Do you realize that outbursts of anger are a work of the flesh? In Galatians 5 verse 23 it says, The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. But two verses earlier it said, The works of the flesh are these. One of them is outbursts of anger. Is your life marked by outbursts of anger or is your life marked by self-control? I could go on with this list. Let me do one more. This is one my wife gave me. Number eight or whichever number we're at here. Lust. How often are your eyes pulled toward illicit pictures? The pornography industry shot up during lockdown. One more unforeseen consequence of the government's intervention in the freedoms of people was to bring them into a place where they had so much more opportunity to be tempted by pornography. And pornography spiraled upward in 2020. Years ago, I read a study. I did not write it down in my notes. I read a study of men in the pastorate. Now these are from all denominations. So I'm not claiming these are all even Christian men. These are men who call themselves pastors. Who serve in a church of some kind. It was a staggering number. I can't remember the exact number. And I should have put it in my notes. I should have searched out this study. It was a staggering number. I want to say one out of four. Or one out of three pastors. Admitted. 
to having looked at pornography within the last, what is it, two months or so. And you say, I don't look at pornography, okay? Do you watch TV shows or movies that have indecent things on them? And you pretend not to notice, and you pretend not to be excited, but you know the parts that are indecent. And at those parts, you particularly savor them. Lust destroys marriages. I'm counseling a man right now. His marriage is practically destroyed because of lust. He's been married almost 20 years. But it's going to end. Unless he changes and learns self-control. Friends, what would your life be like if you had no debt? If you had no problems with fornication, if you could control your sleep, if you had no problems with alcohol, if you were fasting, if you had no difficulties with your words, imagine how many problems come into your life because of your words. If you had no problems with anger, and if you had no problems with lust. If you could control those, what would your life be like? Well, if you could just control your words, just one of those. Friends, self-control will cure almost all of our interpersonal problems. And self-control is a mark that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. So let me close with this. Brothers and sisters, self-control is particularly beautiful. It's not only self-denial. It's not only the solution to problems. But number three, it's beautiful. True pastors have to be self-controlled. Titus 1 verse 8. If you're not a self-controlled man, you do not meet the requirements to be a pastor. There is a pastor in the U.S. whose home has pictures on the internet and the cost is 30 million rand. Creflo dollar. Is he really controlling his money or is the money controlling him? A godly pastor is a man who demonstrates by his life that he is controlled. And that he can control his family. 1 Timothy 3 verse 4. If a man does not know how to control his own family, how can he control the church of God? Children are beautiful when they are controlled. Have you ever been in a store with a four-year-old or some young child? And the child wanted something, and the parent did not know how to control the child. Have you seen that? You feel embarrassed. You feel ashamed. You want to get away as quickly as possible. You don't say to yourself, oh, I'm fine. I'll just stand right here as long as you want to stand. Hey, hey that's funny. You don't say to the woman, hey, do you want me to buy that for the child or man? You feel embarrassed and you want to get away as quickly as possible. This is so common that a number of years ago, a country in Europe, I don't remember which one, had an advert that I eventually saw in the news. The advert was of a young man in his 20s standing in a grocery store and he had a four or five-year-old boy with him. And the little boy said, I want the chocolate. And the man said, no, no, we won't, we're not going to get a chocolate this time. 
And the boy started shouting and said, I want it, I want it, I want it. And the, the man, who's obviously his father, said, no, we got to go, we got to go. And he's trying to talk to this child, and the child wouldn't listen to him. And he had no control over the child. He obviously did not have self-control himself, and he did not know how to teach it to his child. And the advert ends with a word that's is so crude. Don't you wish you would have used birth control? What a wicked thing. He's saying, that advert is saying, wouldn't it be better to live life without children? Don't you, don't you wish you could just get rid of your children? Don't you wish you could get rid of your own lack of self-control? Your own foolish, undisciplined lifestyle? There's no reason a four-year-old should be dominating your life. You should be dominating his life in a godly, biblical, appropriate, gracious, and kind way so that that child loves you but it's absolutely under your, obedience, under your control. But the fact that parents do not know how to teach their children, black and white, American and African, European too, is evidence that they themselves don't have self-control. They did not learn how to control their own passions, and now they're confused on how to train this child's passions. When the Apostle Paul, when the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I beat my body the parents thought oh what a terrible what a ter- i would never do that to myself and right so they didn't do that to their child either they don't know how to control themselves and they don't know how to control their children but isn't it nice to be around a three-year-old who walks in and reaches his hand up to get the thing and he starts to take the thing and the father says no no son and the child looks and puts it back and the father says, good boy. Say, yes, sir. And the little three-year-old says, yes, though. And goes out to play. I know it's beautiful because I was once standing with an African young man. And I heard him speaking to a father of a three-year-old boy. And he said, I told my mother I was amazed that your three-year-old When he was told, don't do that, he looked up at the dad and said, yes, though, and stopped. And I I had to tell my mom because we've never seen that. That was Sapiwe Mahungu, by the way. Christians have to be taught to be self-controlled. And what is more beautiful than seeing a Christian who is self-controlled in the way he wakes up, in the way he goes to bed, in the way he comes to church, in the way he evangelizes. Paul had self-control. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he denied himself a paycheck. He denied himself a wife. And in Acts chapter 26, he denied himself freedom. Jesus had self-control. He denied himself a wife. He denied himself the opportunity to sleep in. In Mark 1 verse 35, the Bible says he rose up a great while before day. If you look at the verse right before it, It says, he stayed up late into the night healing everyone who came to him. He denied himself a house and the normal comforts of life, Matthew 8, verse 20. And he denied himself the full exercise of all of his glory while it was veiled when he took on flesh for 33 years. So I close with this. Imagine your life completely controlled by the Spirit of God. 
Let's go in prayer today and say, oh God, give me this life. May we all be hungry and zealous and eager to have this life and then to pass it on to our children. Let's close in prayer.